it's really been quite a boon to have George Lucas as a neighbor. Okay, now I'm like just super jelly donuts and uh, I don't know what to do. I don't even want to talk about backups anymore. I just want to talk about ILM for 40 minutes. But sure, let's just talk about data. You could restore it Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my Duvali consultant, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? Good, Curtis. You're a little early. We still have a week to go. Well, that's why I'm consulting with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying all the best candies. Sweets, not candies. Sweets. Wait, what's, what's the difference between sweets and candies? See, this is why I need to talk to you. Candy, I think of like Reese's or Almond Joy or Snickers. Okay. Sweets are like, it's like you don't call a cake or a pie a candy. But you call it a sweet. Yeah. Okay. And so these are sweets that people make, and they're usually made with a ton of sugar and a ton of ghee, which is clarified butter. Yeah. And that's basically what they do. You, you can't use enough ghee, I yeah. don't think. Well, and some of it is mm. also like sugar that's been deep fried. That's also really good. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Deep fried sugar. It's like all the things, right? All yeah. in one, you know. Exactly. Uh, all in one but thing. it's basically a great opportunity to eat lots and lots and lots and lots of sweets. Right. But it's really the festival of lights. So it's right. supposed to be like a bringing of like success and all the rest of that. Right, right. And I never get the pronunciation quite like if it's Duvali, Duvali, I never remember which way I'm supposed to do that. I, yeah, I got nothing for you. You, you got nothing? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, if you in, don't know. See, in South India, you'd call it like Dibavali. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, yeah, I'm not going there. I can't, I just can't do that. Um, but I think all of them are acceptable. Diwali, Diwali, Dibavali. Okay. But, we have much more important stuff to talk about, and that is that you and I, we saw each other. I know. Can you believe? It's been what, like, I think the last time I saw you was January of 2020. Yeah. And then, I don't know, something happened for a while. <laughs> something, some, something happened, and, you know, I just, for some reason, never got on a plane. And then we got to, got to eat together. We got to drink together, laugh but the, together. But the funny thing is, this podcast, it's still being done remote. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what. Yeah, so that's what's funny. I think you're you're close enough to the. How close are you to I'm the like office? Five miles, six miles. Yeah, so I can't quite see you if I looked out the window. But I, I'm in the I'm in the Druva corporate office, and you are uh, in your home, which is in Sunnyvale, and you're in your home in Santa Clara. So we yep. can we can like almost see each other. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, and yet we're doing and yet we're doing it remote. I'll give our usual disclaimer. Prasanna and I work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva. This is not a podcast of either company. The opinions that you hear are ours. And also, be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And also, as I've mentioned on previous podcasts, each week I'm giving away an ebook version of my new book, Modern Data Protection, courtesy of O'Reilly & Associates. All you have to do to be eligible is subscribe to our newsletter on BackupCentral.com, and I will then pick one of the new subscribers to receive the free ebook. I have already done the drawing for this week, and the email address starts with Frederick Luck.
you will be receiving an email from me and another one from O'Reilly with your complimentary ebook. Let me get back to the podcast. And we have a new guest this week on the podcast. He and I have a few things in common. I, I love when that happens. I, you know, the first thing when I was looking at his LinkedIn profile that we are both uh, members of a mutual group called the Backup and Recovery Professionals, which is interesting. He's uh, a former Navy vet, just like myself, and also a volunteer firefighter, which I think is really interesting. But that has nothing to do with why <laughs> none of that has anything to do with why we have him on here. Uh, he is the has an interesting history in IT that he uh, his firm, uh, John Companies, was the first provider of what we now call virtual private servers. And he, in 2001, founded a company called rsync.net. And uh, that is now exactly why we have him on here. Welcome to the podcast, John Kazubik. Thank you. Thank you. Fun to be here. It's interesting. You are also in the Bay Area, but I think you're, you're a little farther from us. So, uh, you know, when, when people that aren't from here say, where do you live or where is rsync.net based out of, I typically just say San Francisco because that makes it right. easy for everybody. Right. Um, but as we get, you know, more refined, um, no, I, I live in Marin County. I live in right. Western Marin County, uh, kind of out by the seashore. Um, many people would know Point Reyes Station. Um, okay. I, I live near Point Reyes Station. We have a ranch okay. out there and we sort of live out, out in the country. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. I, you know, so basically, so for those that don't live here, you live on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. That's correct. Yeah. About, about right. yeah, about 35 minutes from the Golden Gate Bridge and west towards the ocean. I, I honestly had no idea you could drive 35 minutes west and still not be in water. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, 35 minutes on a, you know, it's about a five mile distance or a yeah. eight mile distance. <laughs> yeah. Um, it probably is. Yeah. It, uh, gotcha. it takes about 35 minutes to do it. And it's kind of more North, uh, Northwest, but again, Point Reyes station is, is where most people have been or, or know a mm -hmm. little bit about, and it's right near there. I've been to Skywalker ranch. Yes. Our, our ranch is adjacent to Skywalker ranch. Uh, what? Uh, but, but is, <sighs> Uh, is dwarfed is dwarfed by Skywalker. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a very interesting place. I, I I had a great time there as a as a nerd, both as a as a movie lover and as a you know as a computer person. Wait, so what were... is the Skywalker Ranch? I've never heard of this. Come on, <laughs> I kid you not. Seriously, <laughs> you know what? I sometimes I don't know how we are friends. How do you not know what Skywalker Ranch is? Well, okay, Skywalker well, Ranch. So so. What's that? See if you can guess what's got like if someone yeah like, Star Wars yeah. probably. What's your conjecture? So, <laughs> is it Lucas Films up there? It's yes. ILM. Yeah. ILM. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, I did not know it ILM. as Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> it, it's it's really interesting because you 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 just need to know where it is because and there's this like closed gate like a nondescript closed gate at least when i went there and there's no like there's no gate guard there and you pull up to the closed gate and the gate just opens and then you go then you go to the real gate where the guard is and all that is is like social engineering to keep people from asking <laughs> the guy in the gate thing you know uh well, is this where going? you know so they see the closed gate with nobody and if you if you're not supposed to be there, you just you generally turn around and go away. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I saw my visit was, you remember Million Dollar Baby, the Clint Eastwood film? Sure, sure. Clint Eastwood had just finished editing the sound for Million Dollar Baby in their, they have this beautiful, small theater that has like the best sound system ever. And so he used their theater to mix the sound for Million Dollar Baby. And it like literally, um, he had just left. And then I got to walk around and see like there were lightsabers and the little golden statue from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, you know. Well, so interestingly, um, when, you know, a lot of rules, so to speak, were broken in the building of of Skywalker Ranch and all of the property, you know, all, all of the buildings and the infrastructure. And when I say broken, I mean some some horse trading had to happen in order to be allowed to put all that infrastructure there and have all these roads built and blah 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 and so right. part of the deal was that lucas had to provide his own private fire department his own private fire services uh -huh. um, and so our community has benefited greatly from having <laughs> a, a bonus extra fully manned fully staffed fire department that kind of sits around and doesn't have a lot to do all day. Nice. And then, and then another bonus is that we in the volunteer fire department there in, uh, in, in that area, we spend a lot of time at Skywalker ranch, either doing uh, joint training exercises or using some of their equipment or sometimes just filling up uh, air bottles, et cetera. It's, I, I really, I won't go too deep into this, but uh, it's really been quite a boon to have, George Lucas is a neighbor and he's done a lot of great things for the community, not the least of which is this bonus fire department that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Okay. Now I'm like just super jelly donuts and uh, I don't know what to do. I don't even want to talk about backups anymore. I just want to talk about ILM for 40 minutes, but sure. Let's just talk about data and synchronizing data. And, and by the way, I, you know, I, I was familiar with the company. I, I didn't realize that, you know, you had started this idea back in, in 2001 what problem were you trying to solve back in 2001 that made you want to, oh, wait, before I do that, I'll throw out our usual disclaimer. Persona works for Zoom. I work for Druva. This is not a podcast of either company. The opinions that you hear are ours. Be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And also, if you, uh, you know, have something interesting to talk about in this space, adjacent spaces, storage, security, <laughs> you know, barbecue, um, you know, especially barbecue, especially barbecue. <laughs> we love to talk about barbecue and, uh, then, you know, then reach out to me, W Curtis Preston at Gmail or at WC Preston on Twitter. And, uh, well, you know, we'll get you on the podcast. So let's do that. All right. So let's go back to the question. What, what problem were you trying to solve that made you want to do the thing? Okay, so just just one clarifying piece, uh, you know, just yeah. with the background of the history, um, the corporate entity rsync.net, the actual company rsync.net, was founded uh, and was incorporated in fall of two thousand five. Right. Uh, fall ish of two thousand one is when we started offering those backup services, but it was under the auspices of of an ISP, John Companies, which you mentioned. Um, okay. Which so again, you started doing rsync.net sort of the service before you had rsync.net yes, the company. That's right. So so originally the problem I was trying to solve was um, 
trying to invent what we now call the version, like the virtual private server. We didn't call it that. Nobody had a name for it. Um, I, we called it uh, server instances. That's what we, we called it. We were selling people server instances. Mm. Um, and I built a smallish ISP around doing what, again, what we now refer to as VPS. Um, and almost immediately one of the, the, one of the questions, one of the requests was, can we also do backups here? Can you back up our server? Can you back our server? And, and then that request morphed into, since you're doing that, could we also back up other stuff to this? Could we back up mm. our PCs to this? I've got some other co-located server in Seattle. Can we back up that to it? The answer to all those questions was yes. It was, it was. Well, of was, course the answer would yeah, be yes, so, right? <laughs> That's always the answer to customer questions. So we did those things. And then at some point uh, in, in early 2004, I sold that company. I sold John Companies, which by the way, still runs. That's, it's still like a healthy operating business. Uh, they do co-location. They do physical co-location. They do VPSs. Uh, that business is still alive and running, which, which I'm, I'm happy about. Um, took about a year off and then thought, well, gosh, you know, what was <sighs> running a VPS business is not easy. Uh, it mm -hmm. was, it was a real nightmare sometimes. I mean, there were like two and three day stretches. We, we were solving, we were solving new fascinating problems that no one had ever seen before. And I don't want to aggrandize that. I mean, we weren't like rocket scientists there. But, you know, if you think back to 2001, 2002, and you got, you know, 60 VPSs running on a server and something breaks with that, it, again, there was always a new fascinating problem to solve that was tremendously stressful. And I found it to be a tremendously stressful business to run. Looking back on it, circa 2004, 2005, I said, well, the neat, the thing I enjoyed doing, the thing that was very simple and straightforward and also had a ton of benefit and a ton of satisfaction for the users of it was the offsite backup piece. And it was about that time that I was sort of looking around sort of in the marketplace and seeing, I see where people are going to go with this. I see the products that are being introduced or are being proposed or they're just about to be launched. And I hated them all. I didn't like any of them. Um, I, I wanted an empty Unix file system to do whatever I wanted. with. That's all I wanted. I just wanted an empty Unix file system to run stuff over SSH to. And that's not a thing anyone wanted to provide. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought I must not be alone. I must not be the only person that wants this. And, and at some point I just decided, look, I, I want to live, like, I see we're going to build this cloud. It was still pretty early. I don't even know how much we were saying cloud. <laughs> um, I see that we're going to build this cloud. I see that this is where services are going to go. And I want to live in a world where this exists. I want to live in a world where this is at least an option for these, for these 1% of people who weirdly want this product like me, I want it to be available. Right. And, and that's it. So that, that's sort of the genesis of it. And is that why you called it rsync.net? Yeah, that's why, because, and, and, and it was really, 
I, I'm so happy that I chose that. I mean, there's all sorts of catchy little glitzy names. You could, you know, rbackups.tv or whatever. But rsync.net was intended to communicate this is what this is. Like the early customers of rsync.net really didn't need much explanation. They totally got it immediately. They're like, oh, I'll bet I know what rsync.net is. I'll bet it's an SSH endpoint that I could just rsync stuff to. And they were <laughs> right. That is, in fact, oh, really? what it was. Yeah. And so, you know, even now, even now, a tremendous amount of information is transferred very efficiently by simply learning the name of the company. Oh, yeah. No, that's like when I first saw the name of the company, I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then as I dug into your website and saw what you guys did, I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and it's funny you you say, well, I just wanted to provide this place that was a target that you could sync stuff to over SSH. That like I I I looking back over time, that does that seems like something that would be there. Um, and it seems like something that maybe exists in other places now, but now you guys have, a, um, you know, you have a, what's, what do you call it? Uh, you know, escape velocity and all that kind of stuff. Right. So you've already got the name there. Um, but it, it's, it is interesting that you were saying that it just wasn't something that was available. Well, I mean, it was, it wasn't available in the sense that most of the people that wanted it sort of set it up for themselves. So you would get a co-located server somewhere or... I mean, I don't even know if people do this anymore, but you would you would get an account on a shell host somewhere, and then that would give the ability to, you know, sort of rsync stuff there, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, it, it's 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 something that I think people were cobbling together on their own. Right, but not as available as a service. So rsync as a service, essentially, back in the day. Yes. So it sounds like, you know, it's like, it's just this sort of shell, and then you could do a bunch of things to that shell, what are the kind of things that people do with it? I would say almost, almost, you know, not, not universally, but almost universally, people use it as an endpoint for their backups. People, mm -hmm. people use uh, tools that run over SSH, whether that's rsync or SCP or SFTP, or uh, these days, a, 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 just a, beautiful tool that does so many wonderful things. It's called R clone. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Yeah. R clone. Yeah. And, and, and then finally another very rel relevant tool uh, is the backup tool known as Borg. Uh, again, all of these tools run, Borg? Over, all of these tools run over SSH um, and, and people use them to store their backups there. They, yeah, I think that's the typical use case. And, um, and people do other things with it, though. And, and when you look on our website or you ask us to describe what it is we offer, again, I always come back to this very simple explanation. It's an empty Unix file system to do whatever you like with over SSH. That's, mm -hmm. that's the description. And I, I, every week or so, I hear of some like kind of interesting new or sometimes even boring new thing that people are doing <laughs> because they sort of have this Swiss army knife. They have this little Swiss army knife that they can sort of do what they want with. And some people treat it like a safe deposit box where they just store assets in. Some people use it as like a very official uh, uh, backups repository. Some people use it to, I, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, you can SSH user at rsync.net 
Git clone mirror blah 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 some git resource out on the web and people are using that to move git repos back and forth or to archive them or to have like some snapshotted copy that they want to to, to compare against i'm not i don't use git on a day-to-day basis so uh, that's as far as i'm going to run with that yeah it might have been useful for like code spaces curtis <laughs> yeah right for people yeah. who need a place to store their code other than their local laptop or yeah there's so many questions like in terms of why you chose a particular direction that you chose. And nowadays you, you were saying that people can do that, you know, that people roll, roll it themselves. What do they get from you that they wouldn't get if they just spun up a Linux instance somewhere and, you know, pick your favorite cloud vendor. What are they getting from you? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the first and obvious thing is, it's just, you know, it's sort of, exists as a service and they just need to put money in and get back up right and, out. and so you know the, logistically it certainly is easier there and, and you know we have a bit of a reputation of, of running you know a solid service that people can depend on but technically speaking one of the first things that comes to mind is like a real benefit a real value add is the fact that we we run we give you this empty unix file system it's a zfs file system and what that means i mean it means a lot of things but one of the things it means is that we can create and maintain and rotate a snapshot schedule for you, meaning you don't have to do that. So when you think of like really typical, like when you think of like very formal ways of doing backups, you don't think of just a dumb one-to-one mirror from one system to another. That's a very... That's a that's that's a, an incorrect way to do backups, you know, and, right. and that is that is a dumb, quote unquote, dumb way to do backups because you lose all kinds of things if you're just mirroring two systems, not the least of which is the ability to go back in time to a particular right. to a particular backup. Uh, and also the fact that you might corrupt your backup and then, oops, you mirrored it. And now they're both corrupt. I mean, I don't need to explain this to you. Right. But 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 we actually give people the ability to go back to that sort of dumb practice because you have an rsync.net account you do a dumb one-to-one mirror to us like really just as dumb as dumb can be every night Mm -hmm. at midnight i'm going to mirror my whole deal over to you Mm -hmm. but on our end you have configured seven daily four weekly and six monthly snapshots you don't have to maintain those. You don't have to rotate those. You don't have to do anything for those. They get created for you and maintained for you. And so even though your process is this dumb one-to-one mirror, maybe with rsync, maybe with rclone, maybe with you know restic, whatever, on our end, you've got this, these, these point-in-time versions, these point-in-time copies of your data as they existed at those times. And as a bonus, they are immutable. They are read-only. If you public, you know, if you write your rsync.net credentials on a billboard outside your house, people still can't use those to remove or destroy or change those snapshots. You can't touch those snap. You can read those snapshots. So, uh, because it's all managed by your service and sort of locked yeah. down from the user. That's right. And what, I, I'm assuming that you've got some built-in retention for those. Mutable snapshots. Well, again, it, it depends on 
if you just walk in off the street and sign up uh, for like a smaller sized account, your default is seven daily. You know, just, just by default, without even asking for them, you get seven daily snapshots. If you have a somewhat larger account, I think these days at 10 terabytes and above, your default free snapshots are seven days plus four weeklies. So you have 11 snapshots going back, you know, four weeks. But you can set any schedule you want. You know, you can go into our little user interface um, and set, you know, again, 30 dailies, six weeklies. Uh, I, I see someone, some people put these out into the years and we, you can do quarterlies, you do years. <clears throat> and what's nice about it is they don't take up any space. They look like the whole thing. You log into your account, you browse around, and you see what you have there. It's, oh, I've got like 18 copies of my entire data set, the entire thing. I right. browse right in to 15 days ago. There's the whole thing. But because of the efficient way that, that ZFS stores that data, the snapshot only takes up the amount of space, which is the difference from the current the copy. If your data is not changing much on a day-to-day -day basis, you could have months of snapshots and they wouldn't take up much space at all. And I'm assuming that the customer or end user pays based on storage at that point. Yes, that's is that right. why it becomes okay. Just want to make sure that's why it becomes including important. including the additional storage needed for the snapshot. That's right. So you know, let's say you got a one terabyte account that you're paying for, and the working set, or you know, so the current set's like 700 gigs, and the snapshots add up to like 200 gigs. Well, you're still within your one terabyte quota, so you're not paying anything extra. That gives me another question. I'm, I'm still processing the question. <laughs> so what I think I just heard you say was that I pay, I need to do some provisioning. So I pay for what's provisioned, not for what I put in there. Yes, but it is painless and instantaneous, no downtime involved to increase the size of your rsync.net account to upgrade it. So there's no reason to over-provision. You know, if you've got 500 you know, gigabytes on your local end, you can get a 500 gigabyte rsync.net account. We allow you to go to 110% usage just, just because. And also you'll get little automated emails saying, hey, you're, you're at 102%, you're, hey, you're at 105%. So we're, we're not very strict about this at all. In fact, we're kind of pushovers about it. <laughs> so, you know, don't over, you know, if we, we, people ask that same question in pre-sales a lot. And my cut and paste answer is don't over provision, don't over buy. We let you go to 110% and you can add more anytime, no downtime involved. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, that's interesting. So you could create a relatively small target, you know, use it and then upgrade it as you go. I think you, you probably have more waste in the beginning as a percentage of the overall thing depending on how much you configure and you know what i mean like if you're going to do like you, you don't want to be reprovisioning in a, in a week right so you might well why not why not i don't know could you because i wouldn't want to john said it's fairly easy right fairly i guess painful. but mm -hmm. i guess it's easy from an rsync.net perspective but maybe there's like uh procurement that they have to go through within the company or business processes which might make it a little bit more painful yeah but it's um, probably not an rsync.net issue, right? rsync.net, like right, John said, right. can just allow you to scale. I'm glad to hear that you have this seamless upgrade process. Uh, that is the one thing that, you know, when I was 
listening to you is the one thing where I was like, oh, that's interesting because, you know, I, I live in a world, at least, you know, with Druva, for example, all of our backups are stored in, in, in object storage, right? And so we, we just pay for what we use. And so when, when you look at like a file system like that, because of how your infrastructure is, is because it's a file system, it does make sense to charge them for what they use. What what do you think? What what do people normally do from a from a provisioning standpoint? Do they provision it pretty close to the to their current situation? Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. Again, I th I think I think they hear what we're telling them. Uh, you know, if, if they care at all, we're talking about it in pre-sales, and we we tell them quite explicitly: do not overbuy this. Like we, you know, it's, right. we will will even very modestly upgrade it bit by bit as we sort of see it on the red screen day to day. We see, oh, this person keeps going over quota. Just, you know, here, give him an extra 100 gigs. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's, a pro, there's an additional charge for that, but they don't even have to be involved in it. If we see them on the screen, if they show up on our field, you know, enough times, we'll just kick them up 50 gigs or 100 gigs or, you know, mm -hmm. terabytes or whatever whatever small percentage of their file system is. Um, but no, I think people take it to heart. I think they say, okay, great. You know, I don't have to overbuy. You'll give us 110% quota just without even asking for it. So we're good to go there and we'll see how it goes. And the same thing is true with the snapshots. A lot of people come and say, well, I've got my free seven dailies and four weeklies and that's great, but I'd like to expand it to, you know, six monthlies and maybe four quarterlies or whatever. How much space is that going to take up? Well, of course we have no idea. I mean, right. Your no <laughs> so hey, mileage will vary. Just, just provision them and we'll see how big they get. And if they get too big, we'll take them away and you don't need to, you know, we're not going to like nickel and dime you about them. Just, let's just provision them and see how big they get. Interesting. You were talking, John, about taking the snapshots, keeping locally, uh, automatically doing that. And I know, Curtis, one of your favorite topics is a three, two, one rule. Um, do you keep those copies just in that data center or wherever the rsync.net target is? Or does that get replicated to another rsync.net data center? Or We are the backup. That's that's what we tell people is, is we are. So we don't do backups. Uh, and, and I'll clarify that a bit in a second because there's there's sort of an additional tier to our product where we actually do do the backups. But but a default standard rsync.net account, we are not backing that up. It exists in one location. It exists on one, you know, in one geographic location and there's one copy of it. And of course there's the snapshots, you know, there's all the snapshot copies, but in terms of like, you know, an asteroid hitting or an earthquake or something like that, there's one copy in one place and we make it very clear to people that we are the backup. So if you're the customer and you say, gosh, you know, I have a business requirement or perhaps even a regulatory requirement to have this in two places, you can pay us not quite double. It's, it's 1.75 times, not quite double. You can pay us not quite double to replicate it for you to a second rsync.net location. So a very, uh, a very common, uh, a very common configuration is someone signs up. Their primary site is our Denver data center location, and they say, "Okay, yes, we do. We do have this requirement, this business requirement, to have two copies in disparate locations." And so we will, without 
any intervention on their part, no setup, no configuration, nothing. They just tell us. We will replicate their entire account, including all the snapshots, to the Fremont location. And so then that, that satisfies their business requirement. Okay. That satisfies awesome. their, and that, that's how we take care of that, if they require it. But, yeah. John, one of the things on your website, right, and I'm sure that as people are pumping a lot of data into rsync.net, one of the challenges becomes, how long does it take me to get all my data, the first copy of my data, up to the cloud or up to rsync.net? Right. And especially if you're talking like tens of terabytes, they may not have the highest bandwidth or it might take them a month. And that's usually a long time. And during that time, they're also having all these new updates that they eventually have to synchronize and all the rest. Is there something rsync.net does in order to help sort of that first baseline, getting it up to rsync.net? We can't, this isn't as much of an issue as it used to be, you know, back in whatever, 2007 or 2009 or 2011, it was very common for customers to ship us a hard drive. They would ship us a bare hard drive, you know, two terabytes or four terabytes, whatever. And we would do the ingress of like sort of the first set. And then they're just sending us the changes from that point on. And that was how we dealt with not our deficiencies in bandwidth because we've always had very well connected yeah. data centers, but end users, customers had deficiencies in bandwidth and this was the way to solve that problem. I, I will say that unscientifically, I, we see this less and less. We, we don't see people asking for this as much. I think people's bandwidth, it's catching up. I mean, I know that, that stepping away from our sync.net, I personally have, you know, a fiber connection to my home where I get a whole gigabit and you know, it take a lot of data for me to, you know, because it gets to be a point where someone says, well, I got into, you know, it looks like it's going to take us three weeks to transfer this data to you and I say, well, it would be faster to send us a drive, but okay. So it takes two days to do that, to get it all together. And maybe you miss a day and then there's a weekend and then you ship it to us. And then we get, by the time you actually get that out, well, we've already burned a week and a half. I just run it for three weeks. Yeah. Um, again, this is very unscientific. This is just my feel for it. But I see our support people. I see. I see these drives coming in less and less frequently. Um, I think people's bandwidth is just much higher than it used to be. Yeah, I mean that's you know we've certainly seen the the same at our company. Um, and for the record, I think I'm the only one on this recording who doesn't have gigabit to their house. <laughs> Don't, you you do persona, right? You yeah. have fiber. Yeah. yeah. Well, cable, gigabit, but yeah. Oh, it's okay. Um, but uh, I, I I have the option. I just I haven't. <laughs> cheap, Curtis. Like, cheap. Uh, well, I'm able to watch all the Netflix <laughs> I want to watch without it. So you know, and I'm not running a server from my home. So let's let's ask you this. So you you had this problem you wanted to solve. You wanted to come out with the service. You did make a very conscious, what would now be considered, you know, non-traditional choice of building your own data center. And I I think I'm going to answer the question I'm asking you like in my own head before I even ask it, but you know, why, why did you do that versus what everybody else does, which is, you know, for, for such a service, you would think, oh, we'll just put it up in the cloud. Because it's all I've ever wanted to do in the world. 
that's, that's a great answer. answer. That's not the answer I was expecting, but it's uh, a great answer. This is, so. I mean, if I was not running rsync.net, I you would you would watch me on a day to day basis, and I would be performing roughly the same actions. I would be using Unix systems and building them and taking them apart and going to data centers and wiring stuff up in data centers. This is my life's work. I am, mm-hmm. I am, I am a sysop. I am a sysadmin. That's what I do. And this is all I've ever wanted to do. And so that's why now, of course, there's some other, you know, sort of logistical reasons, you know, in 2001 or even in 2005, when we incorporated, it's not like I could, you know, spin up a bunch of Google cloud service instances. So I didn't have right. those options, but yes, we, we could have gone a very different way in terms of the infrastructure. But again, this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I love doing. You did have, obviously, the the background of having run the facility that you had that that was that was used to using computers in a cloud like fashion, right? So you had that experience, so you were able to leverage that experience to 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 yeah. But I do agree that you know in two thousand one and two thousand five, it's not like there were companies that were lining up to do this for you like, like they are today. Right. And and in fact, I, I will admit um, that in 2001, I really couldn't, I, I, I look, when I log into an AWS console and I click around in that and like, it's magic. Like I'm doing, (laughs) like if you go back to 2001, and you show me like the way that I might click, click, click and type something in and mm. I just clone this other FreeBSD instance over here and it's running and it's answering on SSH. And if I click over here, I see the I see the post screen and I see the D message flying by and then I click again and it's destroyed. Like I that's magic. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> and and so you know, part of me wants to say, well, gosh, you know, we made these decisions philosophically. We decided to go a totally different way with rsync.net. No, I had no idea. I mean, we had no idea we could do these things because these things we're doing now are, are, are magic. They're, they're incredible. Um, that being said, the fact that we are not on one of the clouds, the fact that mm-hmm. we have our own cloud that, you know, we built and that we actually own that's a selling point for some people. For some people, they're very glad to know that. Um, some people want, again, maybe philosophically, some people want the backups of their cloud assets to be not on that same cloud, uh, or maybe not on. No, that makes sense. Yeah, any yeah. cloud. You know, I mean, fact- and and we push the same idea here, right? And by here, I just mean on the on the podcast that we're always telling people to do things cross region, cross cloud, if possible. Right. Um, because we, you know, he, he, persona brought up the, the thing of, um, of what was that, uh, codespaces.com. I don't know if you've, you've heard that story, but this was, this was a company that was a place to store your code and they ran entirely in AWS. They had all their backups in AWS. They all did it in a single account. They didn't have anything that was cross region or cross account or cross platform. And then they got hacked and the the hacker just deleted their company and you know and they just literally ceased to exist because they didn't have anything anywhere else Ugh, um, brutal. We, that was 
we ran a series of ads a long time ago. I, I think it was like 2012 or 2013. We were running ads on Reddit that I thought were so clever. They were just the most clever ads, I thought. <laughs> and they said, you know, your, your, your cloud assets are on AWS and your backups are on AWS. You're doing it wrong. And boy, mm. I thought that was just the most clever thing. And everybody said, no, you're stupid. You don't understand. It's the, the dumbest thing. We'll just do cross-region. We'll be in another side. You don't need to do any backups off AWS. I mean, we got skewered. People said it was like the dumbest thing they'd ever seen. So I, I guess we're still, trying, we're still trying to convince people that there is there, there's a real tangible benefit to having these assets, whether they're your GitHub repos at GitHub or your mm -hmm. S3 buckets at Amazon, to have them somewhere else that maybe attackers wouldn't be able to find or that like, you know, wouldn't burn in the same data center fire, et cetera. But we don't advertise on Reddit anymore. <laughs> I know we were talking about public cloud and um, how rsync.net chose to use their own infrastructure for data centers. Um, at Zoom, we've done the same thing as well, where because for some use cases, it makes more sense to have your own data centers rather than running on the public cloud. Um, one thing I was going to ask you, John, especially given I know that you have a public pricing page on rsync.net, you're making it very transparent what the cost is. I would bet that it would be difficult to meet those sort of pricing components if you ran everything in a public cloud as an end user doing it on their own. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and specifically bandwidth, because on the one hand, um, we stand very strongly against sort of unlimited cloud pricing models. You know, I, I think you can get a, like an unlimited Backblaze account. You know, there's never a limit to it. We, we're pretty critical. I'm pretty critical. I've written a lot of things very critical of that pricing model just because it, it puts you into an antagonistic relationship to your provider. You want to store as much stuff as you can at, you know, whatever unlimitedbackups.com and they right. want you to store as little as you possibly can. So <laughs> you don't want to be, you don't want to be at odds with your provider. You don't want to have this in. But so, so on the one hand, I've been very critical and, and, and outspoken against that business model. But on the other hand, although you do have to pay for every bit of data that you, you use at rsync.net, the bandwidth is unlimited. The bandwidth is unlimited. And I'll say two things about that. Number one, you're exactly right. That'd be very hard to do uh, uh, on AWS, for instance, to just say, well, it was unlimited bandwidth because bandwidth is expensive at AWS. Um, and so if we built our platform on a cloud like that, it would be hard for us to go to people and say, well, you can use as much data as you want. You can, you can go as fast as you want. Um, we can do that because we built our own network. We, we, we built our own uh, platform. And I'll just put in this tiny little plug for Hurricane Electric. Um, we don't use Hurricane Electric everywhere. Um, but in the United States, we use Hurricane Electric, and they have very, very well-run network, very low prices, and that enables us. That allows us to just say to people, hey, go as fast as you want to go and do it as much as you want to do it, because we'll, we'll just, you can drink from the fire hose at rsync.net in terms of bandwidth. Right. 
Yeah, that I, I. By the way, I concur with you. There, the, the the internet is littered with large companies that used to exist that had that business model. Right. I was a customer of at least two of them that were that had big names and you know, and sometimes were attached to big companies. And you could have that, you know, five dollars a month unlimited laptop backup or whatever. Uh and they they seem to you know, it's it's almost like the business model doesn't work. <laughs> they, seem, <laughs> they seem to go, you know, they're like, We'll just make it up on volume. Eh, you know. Um, it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work out. And not in today's world where everybody stores everything everywhere. Forever. Right? Um, forever. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so so that is an interesting, is that the bandwidth's unlimited, but you're paying you're paying for the, the gigabytes. So again, you're you're paying for the, the file system size, the ZFS file system size. That's right. Um and so you do need to that's one thing that you just need to be aware of. You you do know that and so you should provision accordingly i think because i you you wouldn't want to provision a you're like well i'm going to eventually need 10 terabytes in the next five years so i'm going to provision a 10 terabyte account right now you you guys would be happy to do that but that would be ill-advised if we're like a let's say a 500 gigabyte account yes right um it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna need 10 terabytes in five years well then let's start with one terabyte now Right or whatever, whatever the number is, and then, like you said, you can seamlessly grow it. That is an interesting way to do things. I, I, it's also interesting the way that you're saying that basically they, they can just do a replication. They can just do a regular R sync to it, uh, and then you do the snapshots off of that replicated copy. That is that is an interesting um, way to go about it. Do you do any sort of timing to see? Is data coming through, or is it just it's a crash consistent snapshot of ZFS taken periodically, yeah, whatever I, your schedule is? Yeah, yeah. How do you know when to take the snapshot? No, so we we don't we don't have a coordination. Okay. You know, we have we have a scheduled time in each geographic zone that we take the snapshots, and there are some instances where customers are, are interested in that. Typically, they're not, you know, typically, uh, but, but yes, there are some instances where people are saying, well, we have a tool that if you snapshot it in the middle of the tool, you know, we're not exactly sure what we end up on the other side of that in the actual snapshot. And so, and so we'll tell them, we'll very explicit. In fact, I think it's even in the web-based account manager, you can see snapshots on your server are taken at this time. So you can adjust your timing to make sure, uh, you know, you're either behind it or in front of it okay. or wherever you'd like to be. So one thing I'm curious about, you know, the fact that you've got this uh, this file system that I can RSH. So I said RSH. That shows my age wow. right there. <laughs> back back in the day, I was RSHing all over the place, yeah. man. Yeah. All right, we're not going to RSH to you. We're going to SSH to you. We're going to we're going to do an SSH tunnel, and we're gonna we're gonna rsync. One thing I I'm wondering about that is the the security aspects of that right and this is this is from a couple of things of like the ability for that to get hacked or accessed right so what about encryption what about access control sort yeah. of the security aspects of all of that well okay so so no matter what tool you use okay in the old days we used to offer an ftp endpoint because 
people asked for it and mm-hmm. you know it, it seemed like it made sense and it did it did make some amount of sense you know 2005 2007 2010 but uh i found it very appealing to nmap one of our systems and see nothing answers but port 22 that is to say i do a port scan I find, personally find it very appealing that I port scan my rsync.net account and only port 22 answers and nothing else. And so years ago, we phased out FTP service. So, so these days, there is one and only way you can connect to an rsync.net account, and that is over SSH. So mm-hmm. that means no matter what tool you use, whether it's rsync, whether it's SFTP, whether it's you fire up FileZilla, rclone, Borg, whatever you are, you have to run over SSH because there's no other option. So the first thing we can say is that all of your data is always encrypted in flight. Mm-hmm. And no matter what tool you're using, you're encrypted in flight no matter what because you're going over SSH and you have no ability to do anything else. Now, if you use rsync or if you use FileZilla or if you use SCP, you're just you're going to send those files to us and they're going to sit unencrypted in your account. It's up to you whether you find that satisfactory or not. Most people right. find that satisfactory. Most people, you know, again, we, we, have, we have a very high reputation. We have systems that answer to nothing but SSH. There's very little attack surface at rsync.net. There's very little ways that, that you, could, you could exploit rsync.net or... Uh, you know, attack rsync.net. So most people feel very good about that. But let's say you don't. Let's say, I, you know, I don't know these rsync.net guys. Uh, I think they're jerks. I don't trust them. Uh, you know, fine. Use Borg. Use Borg. Runs over SSH. And on our end, nothing but gibberish. Garbage hmm. named files containing garbage as far as we're concerned. We have no ability to see them. We don't have the keys. We hope you don't lose them because we got nothing for you. We got a yeah, file system full right. of garbage. So you have an option. Again, if, if you if, if if your business case, if your use case, if your if your philosophical bent allows you to just rsync files to us, well by all means, it'll be the easiest thing in the world. If you don't trust us, or if you do trust us, but you have a philosophical bent that says I, I'm gonna pretend like I don't trust them, which I sympathize with, by the way. Um then you would use something like Restic or Borg or uh, Duplicity. These are all tools that run over SSH and produce garbage output on the other end that only the person with the key, you, can decrypt. So you've got those options. One question that I have regarding SSH, do you enforce MFA on that SSH? We have MFA capabilities that you may enable in the web-based account manager. So in terms of mm-hmm. managing contacts, in terms of managing you know, your billing, in terms of managing your contact phone numbers and things like that, you can set up, we've got a couple different MFA options for you there. Um, on the rsync.net side, we support all of the things that OpenSSH supports because again, that's what we're running. We're running stock standard OpenSSH, which means I don't know if people would consider key plus passphrase as MFA, because you can do that. You can disable passwords. And then of course you can use a standard SSH key 
and then you could set a passphrase on that SSH key. And so like, is that, well, is if, that by, if by people you mean me, I'm going to yeah. say, no, I don't <laughs> consider that. But, but we're giving you a stocks, you know, inside your rsync.net account. And this is very old fashioned. This is very stock standard open SSH. Inside your rsync.net account is a .ssh directory with an authorized keys file in it. Just like right. you would expect to find, and you populate it and use it just as you would expect to populate. And you could, so you could enable full MFA with Authy or you Google. Do the things that you can do with SSH. Yeah. The only thing, just because I know it's a hot topic these days, and I know you talked about ZFS and snapshots, and you briefly touched on immutability, but ransomware, John. <laughs> Hot topic have you, these heard, days. have you heard of that? Have you heard of ransomware, John? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I I see the word ransomware in our pre-sales inbox all the time now. And I also see it from existing, you know, old customers from, you know, people that have been with us for, you know, 14, 15 years coming back and saying, tell us how we're protected against ransomware. Um, <clears throat> again, the ZFS snapshots are immutable, you know, from the from the perspective of an rsync.net user. You have no ability to change them or destroy them or delete them or alter them, you know, whatever. You, you, they are read-only as far as you're concerned and, and, and read-only on a very deep file system level that you couldn't you know, sort of get around. So what that means is if your location is infiltrated in some way, ransomware, malware, uh, Mallory, as we, as we call her, the malicious attacker, uh, if, if you are infiltrated in that way and everything on your end is destroyed, and then in the course of destroying it, they discover your rsync.net credentials and they log into your rsync.net account and they destroy all that, the snapshots are still there because there is no function, there is no ability, there is no mechanism by which they could destroy those snapshots. Now, so they can't delete the account, right? I'm assuming. No, they can't. No, that's okay. a, a, deleting an rsync.net account, like actually destroying, you know, deleting it. That's an administrative action that a human being is involved in. Uh, and so, and and when when someone wants to destroy an account, it's actually kind of a pain uh, on our end. It's kind of a pain because we human beings look very closely at like what number are you calling us from, what email address are you sending this from, are you the only person asking for this. And every piece of that correspondence is CC to all contact. I'm sure this just annoys the hell out of people because like, like mm. either your tech guy is canceling your rsync.net account and I'm CCing the CEO and the billing person and everybody else saying, okay, we yeah, really want to do this. So, so in terms of destroying, like actually canceling an rsync.net account, that's, that's kind of an involved administrative action. But back to, to your question about ransomware, you know, they destroy your local stuff. They destroy the current working set in your rsync.net account, but the snapshots are still there. This is not something we guarantee that that is what I'm about to describe. What I'm about to describe is not something we guarantee per se, but we've got some little triggers set up where like if someone goes from like nine terabytes of storage to zero, like that, that lights up red flashing on a screen somewhere. Like we know that like, like, uh, you know, support people, my engineers, they'll see that. Uh, and they'll check into that. They say, does this look reasonable? Or, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, if some, uh, another thing that lights up big and red on our screen is someone's got a big schedule of snapshots and then they change it to zero. Like we've got seven days and four weeks and six mm. months 
uh, but we want to change that to zero days of snapshots. We see right. those things and we reach out to people and say, you know, what, what are you doing here? Do you mean to do this? And, um, and we'll see what's up. So do you that, also, I know you said you monitor when it goes from like a large account down to zero. Do you also monitor the other way when it goes from like, say a 10 terabyte account to like a 20 terabyte account or when a lot of data starts coming in? No, not really. I mean, if you want to keep pace more, that's great. We'll, we'll let you do that. Um, no, that's not an alert. Certainly, we, we, we would sort of see that as we look yeah. at stats and things like that. But that's not yeah. that that's not like a danger flashing klaxon, like something's wrong here. In fact, that's everything right in the world. We would yeah. like you to do that. So. Mm. Well, I think I think the the concern is if a customer suddenly starts backing up a lot more data than than they used to. Perhaps it's because they've been they're being attacked by ransomware, and so they're they're encrypting a bunch of files, and those files are showing up as changed files, so they're being backed up. I think that's what probably Persona's yeah. wondering about. Yes, and we would yeah, and what you would see there is you would see, you know, let's say you had two percent churn rate on your data, which means every daily snapshot takes up about two percent of change of your data of of like what the working set is. And then all of a sudden, yesterday's snapshot is the same size. That's not something that's alerting on our end. But again, you still have the snapshots behind it. You still yeah. have seven right. or 14 days or four weeks, or right. whatever you've set up to sort of- Feature know. request, John, feature request. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, we do have something like that though. Uh, not necessarily like that, but I'm reminded of this. Uh, customers can set an idle alert, which mm. is to say you can set a, a, a number of days idle that you want to be alerted. So if your data does not change in two days or four days or six days, you get an alert that you've configured that say, hey, look, you know, the data in your rsync.net account is not changed in four days. And you also have the ability to set the definition of changed because maybe you're like trickling in data and you don't want to get this alert like every day just because we you know, don't. That, that's a really good feature, John, because especially given the way people are using their product, they're, they're scripting rsync on their end. And then somebody puts a pound sign in front of the rsync <laughs> command in, in the cron tab file and, and then it just never runs. One of the problems with reporting has always been, you know, I have only error reporting, but nothing happening is an error, right? <laughs> so how do you report on nothing happening? So that, I like that a lot. John, we could probably talk about this for another hour. It is interesting. It, it's certainly like a unique way, I think, of solving the common problem that the, the whole thing I do for a living, right? The <laughs> backups, right? And uh, it, it's just, it is a really interesting way that you've solved it. And uh which is why, you know, I'm interested in, like I said, we could end up talking for another hour, but we want to let people go at some point. So, um, how, how can people find uh, more information about uh, the product? Well, the website's rsync.net. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the Unix command rsync, it's R-S-Y Nancy Charlie.net. So rsync.net is, is our website. And uh, although it's fairly infrequently updated and it's just sort of uh, maybe used mostly for our quarterly tech notes, uh, we do have a Twitter account at rsyncnet, 
no dot there, just at rsyncnet. You can find us there. Um, that's it. We, we don't really maintain uh, any other presence on social media or anything like that. If you, if you want to talk to us, you should email us at info at rsync.net. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. I loved it. It's great. I would love to come back. And uh, thanks again, Persona. Am I going to see you again before you go, or are we going to have to wait another 18 months? Probably wait another 18 months. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't think it's going to be 18 months, but uh, I, I think my I think there's a flight with my name on it here in a couple hours. So I'm gonna, <laughs> time for me to get out of Dodge. Well, at least it was but, good seeing uh, you, Curtis. And yeah. John, it was nice chatting. Great to meet both of you. Uh, can't wait to see the finished product. Absolutely. All right. And thanks to the listeners. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. It'll be completely done.